Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. This morning's scripture comes from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Hear now God's word. After Jesus said this, he went toward Jerusalem. Jesus came near Bethage in Bethany, towns near the hill called the Mount of Olives. Then he sent out two of his followers. He said, go into the town you can see there. When you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. No one has ever ridden this colt. Untie it and bring it here to me. If anyone asks you why you are taking it, say, the master needs it. The two followers went into town. They found the colt just as Jesus told them. The followers untied it, but the owners of the colt came out. They asked the followers, why are you untying our colt? The followers answered, the master needs it. So they brought it to Jesus. They threw their coats on the colt's back and put Jesus on it. As Jesus rode toward Jerusalem, the followers spread their coats on the road before him. Jesus was coming close to Jerusalem. He was already near the bottom of the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd of followers was happy. They began shouting praise to God for all the powerful works they had seen. They said, God bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There is peace in heaven and glory to God. Some of the Pharisees said to Jesus, Tell your followers not to say these things. (laughs) But Jesus answered, I tell you, if my followers don't say these things, then the stones will cry out. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Where do you see yourself in the story we read this morning? Are you the crowd of followers loudly and lavishly declaring who Jesus is, praising the one who comes in peace and power? Are you the Pharisees? shushing those in the parade, maybe in fear of backlash or conflict or in opposition to what they are saying? Are you the disciples who go to fetch the cult or maybe the owners who relinquish the cult to Jesus? Maybe you're another onlooker taking in the whole scene, still trying to figure out where you fit in God's story. Regardless of where you see yourself, you're probably wondering, Pastor Sarah, what in the world are we doing reading the scripture? It is nowhere near Easter. And you were right. But there is one line that I think we overlook in this story, one line so important, one verse, that I felt like we had to read the whole thing. Can anyone guess what that one line might be? The stones would cry out. See, it had something to do with rocks. We know, right? We're on a roll here with this sermon series. We know, right? If they were silent, the stones would cry out. Jesus responds with this line to the Pharisees after they tell him to scold the disciples, insisting that the followers of Jesus be quiet. And somehow, this one line 
silences the Pharisees. Jesus has come to Jerusalem to, for Passover. He knows that his time is coming where he will be crucified. All of his years of ministry have led up to this point. Individually and in groups, people have claimed that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Messiah. But up until this point, we don't have any recollection that people shouted in the streets so unapologetically that Jesus is King. And not only shouted in the streets, but shouted in the streets of Roman-occupied Jerusalem. Claiming someone as king who's not king is sure to catch the attention of those in power. I think many people like to act like our religion isn't political. But it is, and it always has been, and for none of the reasons people think. Because we're not talking about something like a theocracy. It's political because it has everything to do with those who hold power and those who do not. Those in power, i.e. the Romans, would likely take question with someone who claims to be king and might overthrow the government. By shouting their praise and affirmation, the followers of Jesus not only make a religious proclamation, but a political one as well. Now, we don't know the motivation of the Pharisees for their insistence of silencing Jesus' followers. They could have been genuinely concerned for Jesus' safety, knowing that the Romans might come after him. They could have been skeptical or just maybe downright deniers of who they said Jesus was. But either way, the rebuke is strong. And here's where we get Jesus' response. If they were silent, the stones would cry out. It turns out that this phrase was a proverbial saying, sort of like a penny saved is a penny earned, or a leopard can't change its spots. So we know they've heard this saying before. But I don't think they've heard it like this. I think in this moment, Jesus is conveying more to the Pharisees than a quick, wise quip in passing. It must be, because it silences the silencers. Jesus wants the Pharisees to know that even if his followers had stopped, even if they hadn't shouted in the first place, even if this parade hadn't erupted, the stones would cry out. The word used for cry out here, sometimes written as shout, is better translated as making a statement. Jesus is pointing out what sets him apart from any earthly power. And that is that all creation speaks of its creator. All of creation's marvelous, wonderful, weird miraculousness makes a statement about who God is and what God's kingdom brings. The praise of God cannot be silenced. Even a rock, a pile of dust, speaks to declare who God is. And if that's truly the case, how much more can our lives speak into the world proclamations and affirmations and praise of who God is? 
Jesus came to turn everything we knew upside down, to demonstrate that God is so much more than we can imagine. And as part of this, to show us a kind of power that brings life from the dead, from the very rocks and dust of the earth, something so wholly other than any power that rules any state or country. We worship a God whose power is for good, not corruption, whose power restores instead of destroys, whose power abides with instead of occupies over, whose power liberates instead of binds, is laid down and made perfect in what the world calls weakness. We as created beings are called to share in that same power to cry out, to make a statement with our lives of who God is through our words, our thoughts, and our actions. We speak volumes by the places we choose to show up and the places we choose not to. We make statements by living on the margins and addressing those who are abusing their power. We can elevate the cries of creation that need our attention and care so that our children and grandchildren will have a world not completely polluted by our negligence. We proclaim that God is king when we share our resources openly and freely. We demonstrate that God is love when we listen before we speak. Now, I don't know if the disciples really knew the risk they were taking that day, if they understood the magnitude of their words or the potential consequences of their praise. And yet their statements were a part of a radical and revolutionary movement about bringing the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. Each of us are already making a statement about who God is. And so is the rock below our feet, below our homes, below our schools, our workspaces, below places of joy and hope and resistance. What statement are you making? What do your words and your actions proclaim to the world about who God is? I don't know if you heard that recently during Taylor Swift's concert in Seattle, scientists measured seismic activity equal to a 2.3 magnitude earthquake. The crust of the earth literally trembled by the sound and movement and joy of the Swifty fandom. <laughs> they were not silent, and the rocks joined in song. How much more could we do as Christ followers within God's power as we live out our call to bring heaven to earth? All of creation is crying out. All of creation's praised cannot be silenced. So let's join even the stones in proclaiming that the God of the universe brings hope, healing, restoration, and new life in Jesus. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. God, throughout history, we have struggled to claim the power 
you have given us. Destructive forces within and around us make us question your call upon our lives. But you, you have created us for so much more. In Jesus, we saw a life lived in all of its potential, in all of its sacred power. Life that is abundant, love that was creative and fervent for justice. We saw, too, the consequences of living as if the kingdom were close. Jesus, knowing the dangers ahead, still did not cave to the threats or give in to the temptations of the popular. There was nothing he would trade for his love of us, not even his own life. Holy Spirit, call us as we are, from wherever we are, to come and be in solidarity with Christ, who lives and loves on the margins. God, fill our hearts with courage to believe the kingdom is within us, to live boldly in pursuit of love that liberates, to cry out, to shout, to make a statement about who God is by the way we live each day. Make these the desires of our heart today. God, we also give you thanks for this meal we are about to partake in that nourishes us in body and spirit. We are grateful for a taste of your dreams, for the earth that gifts us these resources, and for these bodies of ours through which you take on flesh. May our gratitude produce faithfulness, and our faithfulness produce never-ending praise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.